Morning, church. Man, it's a privilege to open the Word of God with you. Um, I'm so thankful for you guys. I was praying for you this morning, and uh, we were making a joke this morning about how you guys generally sit in the same spots, but it's helpful because, like, while I'm trying to pray for you, I just kind of move my eyes across the room and see where you're sitting. So, but I've been praying for you, and I just pray that the Lord would, would speak this morning. So, before we dive off in, let's again take just one moment and pray for the Lord's blessing. God, we love you. In no way as much as you love us. God, and we are thankful for the opportunity to give you praise. We're thankful for the opportunity to, to give you our tithes and our offerings. God, and we're thankful that you would send us your message and you would open it up. God, I pray right now that your spirit would speak to our hearts. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're back this week in the book of Ruth, if you want to turn there. And it's our final week in our study, Sovereignty and Silence. And my prayer for you throughout this series has been um, that you would see that God doesn't waste any of your any of your pain. God doesn't waste any of your suffering. We're taking Romans 8 at, at God at his word when he says that uh, he works all things out for the good of those who love him. But all things sometimes is pain and suffering. And we, 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 we know that God's going to work all these things out for our good and for his glory. Even if we can't see it on this side of eternity, even if we can't see it in this, this momentary affliction. So I want to give you a quick review or overview of the book of Ruth, and then we'll, we'll, we'll finish this morning. The, the book opens up with a, a lady named Naomi and her husband and her sons. They are driven from the land of Israel because of a severe famine, and they go to a place called Moab. Moab in Moab, that it's 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 a it's a pagan nation. It's a place where they worship false gods, and many of the indications were given that might be what was going on with Naomi and her family as well. These 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 two sons of Naomi, they they take these pagan wives, and soon tragedy strikes Naomi's family. Naomi's husband dies. And then some time passes, and, and both of her sons die. And now she's been in Moab for 10 years and decides to co go home. But she has one more problem, or two more. These sons' wives, these Moabites, she does not want to show back up in, in Bethlehem, in, 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 God's, in God's land, with God's people, with these two pagan women with her. So she tries to talk them out of coming with her, and she talks one out, Orpah, and the one that comes with her, her name is Ruth, the one who the book's named after. And Ruth tells her this whenever she's trying to get rid of her, Ruth 1.15, For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge, and your people shall be my people, and your God my God. There she decides to follow the God of Israel. We see her converted. So when they get back to Bethlehem, Naomi's just mad at life. She's bitter. 
Naomi means pleasant. And the women of the city come out and they say, Naomi's home. And she's like, don't call me pleasant. Don't call me Naomi. Instead, call me Mara. Call me bitter because God has dealt bitterly with me. He's turned against me. And I, have, I left this place full, which was a lie because she left because of a famine. I left this place full and God has brought me back empty. Ruth 1, 21. But as we've studied this book, we found that these claims that she's making can't be further from the truth. You see, God leads Ruth to, to Boaz's field to glean. Now, Boaz is one of the few men in Israel who can redeem Ruth and Naomi. It just so happens that they fall in love. And last week, we saw Boaz do everything the law required and in my opinion, then some to redeem Ruth and to provide for Naomi. Boaz was willing to pay the price of redemption. God provided a redeemer in Boaz for Ruth and Naomi. And this morning, we're going to see that God has provided a redeemer for us in the person of Jesus Christ. This morning, we will see that God used Ruth and Naomi's suffering this is hard to say. He used their suffering to pave the way for a king and ultimately used it to pave the way for King Jesus. And he uses our suffering to pave the way for his kingdom as well. So as we always do, what is true? What's our general overarching truth for the morning? God has provided a redeemer who is our king. So what do we do with all that? We are to celebrate our Redeemer and our King. So let's read our text together, starting in verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her. And the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the, woman, then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life, a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who, who is more than seven sons, uh, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the woman and the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. And they named him Obed, and he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Verse 18. Now these are the generations of Perez, and you'll find these generations in Matthew 1. Perez fathered Hezron, and Hezron fathered Ram, and Ram fathered Amimadad. And Amimadab fathered Nashon, and Nashon fathered Salmon, and Salmon fathered Boaz, and Boaz fathered Obed, and Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. And David will one day become king. So let's look at verses 13 and 14 together, and we'll see the birth of a boy. In verse 13, the author lets us know that 
Ruth and Boaz get married. And they conceived a son, and the Lord gave Ruth conception. They, 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 she then bore this son. And here's the thing. God has been silent through this entire book. God has yet to speak, and God actually still doesn't speak as the book ends. But while God doesn't speak, others, mainly Naomi, have ascribed actions to the Lord that were inaccurate. Only two times do we find the, 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 what the Lord is actually doing by the author. So the first place we see it is in Ruth 1.6. You'll see it on the screen. Then she arose with her daughter-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So first we see that the Lord had, had visited his people and that the Lord had given them food. And um, he's, he's the cause of these things. He's the cause of there now being food back in Israel. But not just that, we, we see here at the end of the book, the verb being connected to the Lord is him causing Ruth to conceive. While God is silent, we see him clearly and profoundly speaking through his actions. God may seem silent in your life. And you might be looking for a change in your situation, like maybe a job, or you're struggling with something emotionally, or whatever your specific issue is that you're dealing with. When we're in that place, we must wait on the Lord with anticipation. Now, He may not answer how we're hoping, but we know that our Lord hears us and our Lord is acting. Look at Ruth's trajectory. Ruth, uh, these are the ways that she identifies herself, starting in Ruth 2.10. She identifies herself there as a foreigner, and that's not like a good thing necessarily. Um, verse 2.13, she calls herself, uh, that's the first thing she says to Boaz. Second thing she tells Boaz is that she's a, his lowly servant. Ruth 3, 9, she identifies herself as a maidservant. But here, she's moved from, from this lowly status to a wife of one of the most renowned men in Bethlehem. In chapter 1, standing in the field of Moab, widowed, discussing her future with Naomi and Orpah, she could have never imagined God's plan or how he would work it out for her. But just as Ruth kept moving forward, taking that next step of faithfulness, that's what we're called to do when we obviously don't know what God's will is in that situation. Now, my, uh, I've got a five-year-old daughter, and we watch a lot of cartoons and, um, you know, she was born just at the right time for Frozen 2, so we've seen that one on loop over and over and over. And one of the songs in that is called The Next Right Thing. And that's, that's kind of where we are. Like, we don't, we don't know necessarily the, the next thing that God specifically wants us to do, but we know what He's revealed to us in Scripture. And we just need to be living out that next right thing, doing that next right thing I love how this old English poet says it like this. He says, Many a questioning, many a fear, many a doubt has its quieting here. 
Moment by moment, let down from heaven, time, opportunity, and guidance are given. Fear not tomorrow, child of the king. Trust them with Jesus. Just do the next thing. Look, we're not told what God's plan is specifically for our lives other than generally what he wants us to do. And until he reveals to your heart by his spirit or he just works all the things out, all we can do is that next thing, that next right thing, like what we see Ruth doing. I mean, the, the, the Proverbs 16, 9, it's true. To me, this is kind of the proverb for this book. The heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. Theologians talk about God's will in two ways. They talk about it in his revealed will and his hidden will. Um, God's revealed will are those things plainly laid out in Scripture like don't lie, don't steal, don't cheat, don't kill. Uh, God created the world. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus has redeemed the world by his blood. Those things are, are plainly laid out. God's church is his mechanism for reaching a lost and dying world. And if we're in his church, we are to live out that calling. That's his revealed will. But we are so much more concerned with his hidden will. God's hidden will are things like this that we find in Scripture. Like, um, well, uh, we, you know, we all want to know what his specific will for our life is. Like, how, how's the end going to end up? He doesn't tell us that. God's hidden, hidden will, uh, there are things that people get real jazzed up about, like end time stuff. Is there going to be a rapture? Is there not going to be a rapture? Is there going to be a tribulation? Is there not going to be a tribulation? And those are the things we really like to get into. And hey, here's the deal. I will talk to you about end time stuff, but before, you, before we have that conversation, I just want you to know, how are you doing with the revealed will? Because I get a lot of time wrapped up in the hidden will in these conversations. But the thing I'm most concerned about for the people of this church and for all of Christians and for myself is are we carrying out his revealed will? We get all wrapped up in where does man's choice end and God's sovereignty begin? He doesn't tell us. He, he, doesn't, he just simply doesn't tell us a lot of these things. When is Jesus coming back? What do you think you're going to be judged for? The things that he did not tell you or the things that he has plainly laid out in Scripture? The things that he has plainly revealed? Ruth didn't exactly know what God would do. It was hidden. But she knew the things she needed to do, and she did those things, and God blessed her for it. Boaz had, had the revealed will of God because he lived in, in Bethlehem and he, 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 he had the Pentateuch given to him. Boaz didn't exactly know what God's plan was for his life. He was an older gentleman who was single. God's plan was hidden, but he knew the law and he lived according to the law and God blessed him for it. Don't get so caught up in what God's hidden will for your life is that you miss living out his, the, the, the general will that he has for all of us. 
the things he's told us specifically. And I'm not saying don't seek out the hidden will. That, please hear me say that. Definitely seek him out. Pray, ask, wait, look in scripture. He may speak, but he also may not. And all we can do is pray and live out his revealed will. So let's look at uh, verses 14 through 17. The, we see the blessings of the boy. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi and they called him Obed. So let's examine this blessing that Naomi receives from these women. I love that the author, in, the, in chapter one, he takes us to the women of the city and in chapter four, he draws us back to the women of the city. He brings, he brings this whole thing full circle. Sorry, I'm a little parched. I get a little sip. Ruth 119 says this. You'll see it on the screen. So the the two of them went out. This is um, talking about Ruth and, and Naomi. Went out until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And here's these same women of the city. Who are they? I don't know. The women of the city. And they said, is this Naomi? And she said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara. For the Lord Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me? Why call me pleasant when the Lord has testified against me? And the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. Here in Ruth 119, Naomi tells the women how miserable her life is. But in chapter 4, they're proclaiming to her how good her life is. In chapter 1, Naomi tells them how bitterly God has dealt with her. And now these women are proclaiming and telling and celebrating how God is nourishing her soul. Naomi says in verse 21, I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. The women look at how the women say look at how full your life is with a redeemer, a new son, and you have a daughter-in-law who those two sons, this one daughter-in-law is 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 seven sons compared to them. They say this, he shall be to you a restorer of life, a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-laws who love you, who is more than seven sons, has given birth to him. I love how beautiful and poetic this is. How, how, like I said at the beginning, how it comes full circle. But I want you to notice that these women, they bring back these two major themes that we've talked about all the way throughout the book. The first is the Redeemer, the Gil, and the second is Hesed, this, this covenant faithfulness. 
The, the women's declaration brings, brings these, these two things back so that God would be celebrated for what he's done. First, the, the women tell her that God has not forgotten her and has provided a redeemer and a nourisher of, of life. This idea that he's not forgotten her. This is this, this, this hesed, this hesed love, this, this covenant faithfulness. Just a quick reminder of what the word means. Um, we'll, we'll talk about that, but um, if you want more on Hesed, go back and listen on the uh, Spotify or Apple, wherever you listen to that stuff, to the sermon on Ruth 2, uh, 17 through 23. The whole sermon is that idea. So, but we'll just, we'll, we'll get a quick overview of it. Hesed is God's covenant loyalty or a love that goes above and beyond the call of duty. Hesed is the combination of love, commitment, and generosity. All these words describe God's character and how God operates within God's covenant that he makes with his people. God's covenant faithfulness tells us that when we don't live up to our end of the bargain, to our end of the covenant, that God still lives up to his end that God is still faithful, that God is still long-suffering, that God is still patient. That's, that's all in this, this idea of hesed. On this side of the cross, we get to see God's hesed faithfulness in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the ultimate picture of this hesed love. He's the ultimate picture of, of, of love commitment and generosity towards us, this fallen group of people. He's the treasure of heaven, God's generosity poured out. He, he is God's love coming to us, John 3, 16. He is the, I, he's the picture of commitment. Jesus became a man and dwelt among us. He committed to fulfilling the law. He committed to paying for our punishment till he declared on the cross, till Telus die, it is finished. He's the picture of love, generosity, and commitment. Like Naomi was just flat, she was just flat wrong in believing that she had been forsaken by God. She, she, she was claiming something else about God when she said so. She said that God was somehow against her. And I think sometimes we believe that God is against us. It goes against his character. We also see, this, this, uh, we also see in this woman's praise for a redeemer. And we, we, might, we might miss it if we don't read, read closely that the redeemer in this situation, the redeemer through the book, the legal redeemer is Boaz. But who do they say the redeemer is? the baby the the woman they're not using the word in its legal sense rather they're pointing to that this child being born will provide for her the rest and security that she's been looking for throughout the entire book remember all the way back in chapter one she she runs the one daughter-in-law off basically by telling her i can't give you rest I can't give you security. I can't provide for you. In chapter 3, her argument for why, Naomi, or why Ruth should go and propose to Boaz. What was the argument made out of? 
security, provision. Naomi has struggled all the way through the book. And this idea of security and rest, it's heavy on her mind. And God gives her the very thing that she's been longing for. The baby represents safety and security for Naomi and Ruth because their inheritance will pass on with this boy. And, and you know, if Boaz dies, there's still a redeemer. They'll still be provided for. Naomi, she's, she's bent towards the tangible. And this might be something that we want to judge her for harshly, but I don't know about you, but I tend to stress over things like money because those things are measures of, of, of security for my family. But maybe I'm the, maybe I'm the only sinner in the room. There's one time I got laid off. Uh, another time I was told that a company my size, uh, the size, didn't, didn't really need the position that I held. Go find another job. Um, the, these situations like this surrounding, especially your finances, they make you just emotionally real, don't they? You're just trying to figure something out. I've got a lot of Naomi in me. And often, I focus so hard on the situation, I struggle to trust the God over the situation. Is that true for you too? And God, in these seasons, I always find Him gently rebuking me and gently rebuking my spirit when I'm trusting, his, uh, uh, the, trusting the world's security over His security. On the backside of the situation, I, I can see how he's orchestrated things for my benefit. And in the middle, of it, it, it just felt like chaos. Or maybe I'm in a chaotic moment and in the middle of the whole thing, he just starts pouring out blessings on me. And it's not necessarily for the, the thing I need solved in that moment, but just to show me that he's still, he's still listening, he's still with me. That baby in her lap, was both a blessing and a gentle rebuke. Standing as a testament to trusting in God's sovereign hand over trusting what she can see, touch, and feel. What are some places right now in your life that cause significant worry and anxiety? Would you say that those things that you've, you, you have actually handed them over to the Lord? In most cases, no, because we wouldn't be holding that, that, that high anxiety with it. We have to release control. Like Naomi, instead of trusting God when hard times hit, she ran to Moab, right? I, I can think of one time there was uh, speculation that there were going to be a lot of layoffs, and I was in a, a good place. But instead of not wanting to get laid off, I just ran. You know what I ran into? A bad place. My own Moab. She ran to Moab instead of play, staying in the place where God had promised uh, to provide for her, his people. 
And even in her unfaithfulness, God has proven time and time and time again that he is faithful. Even in my unfaithfulness, God has proven time and time and time again that he's faithful. God has given a redeemer to fill, fulfill her, her need for safety, security, and rest. And God has given us a redeemer to fulfill our need for safety, security, and rest. We need safety from ourselves. Because of our sin, we deserve God's wrath. We needed to be redeemed from our sins, so God sent his son to redeem us with his blood. We needed security. I love Romans 8. Because of our Redeemer, our souls have been sealed by the Holy Spirit, and nothing can separate us from the love of God. He tells us there that nothing can separate us from the love of God, no height, no, nor heights, nor depths, nor, nor uh, principalities or powers of this world. And I'm going to say, even us, even my unfaithfulness, because God is, he's this, this Hesed Redeemer, He's faithful to his covenant even when I'm not, and he has sealed me with his Holy Spirit. He's, he's given me safety. He's given me security. And we all need rest. We need that Sabbath rest. In Christ, there's not this, like other religions this constant striving to do more and to try harder, to earn God's love. God gives grace. If God's love were earned, it would not be grace. That's a different religion. That's no different than Hinduism or Buddhism or uh, um, Islam. All these religions are based on what you can do. Our, our truth is based on what God did for us. We don't have to constantly strive to do more and try harder. Jesus Christ has earned everything, and we can rest in knowing that his life, death, and resurrection were sufficient for our salvation. We get to rest in knowing that we don't have to fear the grave. Jesus is, his, at his crucifixion, you know, we say he's our redeemer. At his crucifixion, he cries, tell, tell us die. It's one of my favorite words in all the Bible. It's, it's, the, it's, it's a, a word that we translate into a phrase that says, it is finished. Redemption is a, is a, is a word from the marketplace in the Roman world. It's, it's, it's the payment required to purchase. And at the end of that purchase, do you know what would be proclaimed? It is finished till Telestai. We can rest in knowing that our, our sin has been totally and completely paid for. We will find ultimate rest when we enter into eternity and we feel the embrace of our Savior but we get to rest now also in not having to strive. 
The book begins with Naomi's sadness and ends with her joy. Verse 16, Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. The book opens with Naomi empty and ends with Naomi full. She's embracing. Her arms were empty because her children had been taken away. And her arms at the end of the book are full holding a baby boy. God gave Naomi a child to take away the bitterness. God gave us a child to take away the bitterness of death and sin. Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born. For unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's this baby. Of the, the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with righteousness and, and with justice from, the time, from this time forth and forevermore. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. She was given a child to take away the bitterness. And we've been given a child to take away the bitterness of death. The child that's been given to us is God in the flesh, Emmanuel. And, and he will reign on God's throne that he set up for David for all of eternity. And he will reverse the curse of sin. 1 Corinthians 15, 55 through uh, 58. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who has given us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the works of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor will not be in vain. Until that day when we see our King, until we see this baby who's taken away the bitterness of death, we must abound in the works of the Lord by advancing his kingdom through making new disciples. And every day that the Lord has given us is a grace because we have an opportunity to bring someone out of darkness into light, from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of Jesus. But finally, let's look at the, 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 the last of this. We're looking forward to a king, verses uh, 17 through 22. He was the father of Jesse, talking about Obed, the father of David. Now, these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, and Hezron fathered Ram, and Ram fathered Amimadad, and Amimadad fathered Nashon, and Nashon fathered Salmon, and Salmon fathered Boaz, and Boaz fathered Obed, and Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. This book is building to 1 Samuel when David is anointed king. But the whole book God, the whole book of the Bible, God is building to Jesus, showing from what line he came, and that Jesus would be a greater uh, redeemer than Boaz. He would show more covenant faithfulness than Boaz and Ruth, that he'd be a greater king than David. 
These are all just small glimpses, just shadows of what Jesus would do and what Jesus would accomplish. God, from from Genesis 1 to Revelation 21, is building to that moment when when we are to dwell with Jesus, when finally he, he defeats sin, he defeats Satan, he throws the beast into hell, and also destroys all who oppose him. That's what everything's building towards. That's the climax of the Bible. The climax is not the cross. Jesus will absolutely crush all who oppose him under his feet, and he will cast them into hell, and they will be punished for an eternity. But then... He will turn his attention to his bride and take us to the place that he's prepared for us. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be there as their God. This promise has been made tons and tons and tons of times in the Bible, and now now it's coming into reality. Verse 4. And he, being Christ, will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Verse 5. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderer, the sexually immoral, immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all the liars, their portion will be in the lake of fire that burns in sulfur. This is the second death. Just like Ruth and Naomi and Boaz and Obed all had a part to play in bringing about God's ultimate plan of redemption in the world, you have a part to play in this narrative. And God is inviting you to play your part in advancing his kingdom by making disciples for Jesus Christ. Where do I do this? You do it where you live, work, and play, where you're at. So that on that day, imagine throngs of people surrounding the throne you'll get to look around and know that you contributed to that moment. You'll get to see those who you discipled, those who you led to Christ, standing there praising the Lamb for an eternity. We'll all sing together, together and celebrate the Lamb that was slain to purchase our pardon, our Redeemer. 
I want to leave you with this as we end the book showing the whole of the story. May Christ be praised forever. Amen. If you're with us today and you've never made the decision to follow Christ, I'm going to be right here and I'd love to talk to you about that. If maybe God's pressing on your heart to make a decision to follow him in baptism, I'd love to have that conversation with you. But let's pray and we'll, we'll, we'll end in a song of response to the Lord's glory.